Well, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Marshall Herndon. As I said, I, uh, I actually serve on staff here with our college ministry uh, and recently started serving in the kids ministry this year with our, our one-year-old son who's about to pop up to two-year-olds next week. Uh, and we're going to be serving in that classroom with them. But just love getting to be here and seeing so many different faces on the stage and so many faces out here. Just what Donnie said. What Mark's already alluded to is the, the church is a family of God. So I just love getting to be a part of this family. Uh, one quick note is Zach was supposed to preach this morning, but he's, uh, he's been sick this week, and so they're staying home resting. So uh, you've got the, the backup plan, the last resort, actually. We've got a few staff members out. You've got me again. I preached for the first time a couple weeks ago, so I either did a good job or I was the last option. I'm not really sure, but I'm excited to preach. Like, you may have the backup preacher today. But today's message is not the backup message. Like, honestly, like, uh, that's not about me. But, no, this is um, where we're at in our series in John and the story we're going to look at. Like, this is, a, this is a sermon I would preach if for some reason any church ever asked me to preach. Like, this is something I would be on the top of the list. It's just, like, on my heart to, to share to the church. Um, and we're actually going to be looking at, in our series in John, in John 12, we're going to look at, what may be my, one of my favorite people, maybe my favorite person in the Bible over these past couple years, have just really fallen in love with the story of Mary of Bethany and just been so inspired and challenged by her. Um, we saw last week in our series in John 11, uh, we're introduced to her and her sister Martha, her brother Lazarus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, but we're going to look at her again today. And something really interesting about Mary of Bethany is she only has, I think, three stories in the Gospels, in the Bible, about her, but they're really profound, and ones that we're, we're pretty familiar with, but she is not, her, she's not recorded at all in the book of Acts or in the New Testament epistles. Like, we don't know what happens to Mary necessarily after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and so she's not remembered for any great miracles or any great ministry that impacted the world. She's actually remembered just by her devotion to Jesus. She's, she's remembered forever by her love and her relationship with God. And something really interesting, I think you see this in John 11 last week, is that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three siblings, they have such a close relationship with Jesus. It's so evident there was like a deep friendship with the Lord there. Um, and so I just imagine that even though there's only three stories about Mary, that, that Jesus stayed in Bethany. He stayed at their house. He spent a lot of time with them. Um, so I, I love Mary, and I love looking at her relationship with Jesus. And in my opinion, I think Mary is one of my kind of go-to examples for what does it look like to love God wholeheartedly? What does it look like to fulfill the greatest commandment, the thing most important to God? What God said back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament law, what he commanded his people, and what Jesus reaffirms in the Gospels when he was asked, what's the thing most important to God, this greatest commandment? I think Mary's our example of that. You see, Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? From the perspective of the Pharisees and the Jews who were trying to be right before God, by their religion, by their behavior, by their acts, by their works, by their service, through that mindset, okay, so what is the thing that's most important for me to satisfy God, for me to please him? What's the thing I need to do? What's the greatest commandment? What's the best rule for me to follow? And what Jesus says is, I think, is actually a very strange connection to a commandment. 
But he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and in market as with all your strength. You shall love the Lord your God with everything. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest rule to follow in this religion of Christianity is actually about relationship. The thing that is most important to God, his greatest priority for his people and how they're to live is actually to love him with everything, to love other people. I, I honestly, I think I read that and I look at the story of Mary and I think it, I think it actually, it, it really confronts my normal MO of operating, like my normal way of relating with God. I think most of us, maybe subconsciously, we often read that passage. We read the greatest commandment as you shall serve the Lord your God with everything. You shall work hard for the Lord. You shall do things for him. And I think what we see in Mary and what she's remembered by is that more than what God wants from us is actually what he wants for us. That, that's kind of backwards in how you read that, but to love God with everything is relationship with him. Like the most important thing for the Lord isn't necessarily our work. It's not that he just wants our effort, right? He doesn't just want our striving and our service. God actually wants our attention and our affection more than anything. He wants love and relationship with us. And so I love looking at the story of Mary. Um, There's the three stories we're actually going to look at, two of those today. Last week, like I mentioned, we're in John 11. But if you'll open up to John chapter 12, we're going to look at uh, chronologically the last story about her. And then we're going to look at the first one in a minute. One thing I do want to address as we're talking about the greatest commandment real quick is I think oftentimes we can, you know, if I'm, if I'm myself sitting in your chair, I think often I could start to feel a little bit convicted, but some of the confusion is as I'm being challenged right now thinking about, do I love God with everything? Like, am I living up to that? You know, I start to think maybe I'm not where I want to be. Like, I, I want to say that's true, but I often find that I'm just not. I'm distracted or maybe I'm getting a little apathetic, or I'm just, I'm starting to see I'm caring about other things. Maybe my priorities are out of line. And so I want to encourage you, if there's conviction today, that maybe Holy Spirit wants to change something about your priorities or or where you spend your attention, to respond to that, but to not allow condemnation to also set in, which is such a, a common thing that can happen on a Sunday like this, is that while being challenged by Mary's example, we could start to feel condemned that I'm not a good Christian. You know, maybe God doesn't really love me because I don't love him. I'm not good enough. I'm not where I need to be in my walk with God. So I just want to encourage you to reject those kind of thoughts and to say that that's from the enemy. There's no condemnation for this morning, but I believe God's inviting us into something he wants for us. He's not just trying to get something from you this morning. Um, So I just want to remind us of that when we look at Mary. So John chapter 12 We're going to move fast this morning just because we're a little shorter on time, but that's awesome. We don't need a lot of time to look at this. Um, So quick, there's there's two other um, mentions of this story. So this story is also found in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. So it's recorded in three of the Gospels. Um, So I'm going to point out some of the things mentioned in those that aren't here. But if you'll open up your Bibles and read with me, John chapter 12, we're just going to read the first eight verses of this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, 
whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of their perfume. So here, see here in this saying, we're at the house of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Actually, I think this isn't their house. This is actually the house of a different person. But they're at a dinner party where they're gathered after Lazarus, who is reclining at table, was just dead like days ago, has been raised to, the, uh, raised to life by Jesus. So they're sitting at this table. And Mary kind of enters the scene in a very disruptive way from what might be normally happening at this dinner party. And she anoints Jesus with this perfume oil. And one thing to note, in the Matthew and the Mark accounts of this story, they don't actually mention her anointing Jesus' feet. In those stories, it actually talks about her anointing his head. Well, here we see it's his feet. So I think one thing we can gather from that is just that this was a lot. Like this was enough of a quantity of oil that Mary actually anointed Jesus from head to toe. That she poured out enough that she gave everything in this expensive oil to anoint Jesus. So she anointed his head and anointed his, toe, his feet, and then she was wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of their perfume. Such a noticeable and radical display of affection here. But you see, it is actually very offensive to those around him. Verse 4 but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And then John adds this little commentary from years in the future when he wrote this after these things happened. He says, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And in the other gospel accounts, they don't actually just mention Judas. They say actually some of the disciples, plural. So I don't want us to write off that fact that in the other accounts of this story, that the other disciples scolded her as well for what she did. So interesting to see that this grand gesture in Mary's heart towards Jesus was considered wasteful or offensive by other people who were also following Jesus at this time because of the expense of their perfume, that this was worth a year's wages. So let's actually think about like your annual salary. It's very likely that Mary had this possibly as an inheritance from her parents as they wanted to give something amongst the siblings, that this might have been Mary's inheritance. It's like a legitimate financial asset to her that she spends all on Jesus in a moment, that she actually would put her future security at risk because Jesus was worth it, because she would rather spend that on Jesus. Not only that, but you see, she puts her reputation at stake by drawing so near physically to Jesus, by anointing his head, by wiping his feet with her hair. What we're going to see again in the other story about her is that by doing this, she's taking the place, and culturally in that time, what was common for a male disciple to a rabbi, not for a female to draw so close to a rabbi or a teacher. And it offends them. 
her drawing so close, putting her reputation, what other people think about her is also, it's, it's incomparable to what is worth spending on Jesus. And even her physical body, as she kneels down to wipe his feet with her hair, his dirty feet that have been traveling the road to use her hair, to use her body to serve him, to love him, to honor him, was worth it to her. You see Jesus' response. He says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You see, Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples because they were trying to serve the poor. That's a very good thing. Jesus isn't concerned about that. But you see, he is rebuking them because they've missed what's even more important right in front of them is the chance to honor the Messiah, to love Jesus. I want to read the Mark 14 account. I think we have that on the screen. But in the Mark account of the story, he adds a little bit more of what Jesus said in response. So I want to look at that as well. The same story, Jesus responding to what Mary had done. Verse 6 of Mark 14, he says, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. A couple of very significant things here is that Jesus says two things about Mary that he doesn't say anywhere else in the Gospels. Nowhere else is it mentioned by Jesus that he says someone did something beautiful. He says that she has done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing to me. And this is what we were just singing about in that song, We Want to Move Your Heart. What we see here is that God is not unfazed by relationship with us. He is, he is not distant or unmoved by us, but that our relationship, just as like I have a relationship with my wife, Lacey, if I want her to feel loved and honored and cared for, I do things to show that so that she feels that, so that she is affected by that, so that she receives that, something that would move her heart. In the same way, our relationship with God, he could be affected by us. His heart can be moved and stirred to feel honored, to feel loved, or to feel grieved, to feel uh, offended. We can grieve the Holy Spirit when we dishonor God. Now, my wife's really awesome and gracious, but one way she's not like God is that God also, uh, he's not necessarily emotionally, well, that was going to be a very bad way to say that. So, and the fact that we can offend God, it's not as though his emotional state is based on our relationship with him, right? God is faithful. He is unchanging. He is secure. But he can be moved by us. He can be stirred by us. He can feel honored and cherished. And you see, Jesus, like this is so significant to him that he would say something in this moment that he didn't say about anybody else in the Gospels, that she did something beautiful for him. The second thing that Jesus says here that he doesn't say about anybody else is that what she did will forever be connected to the Gospel. 
that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, that what she did will also be told in memory of her. And the very fact that we're reading this in the gospels is the fulfillment of Jesus' prophetic statement here. And I think what Jesus wants to communicate is that in the gospel, the thing between us and God isn't just about accomplishing salvation. The gospel doesn't end with the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead so that we could live forever in heaven by faith in Jesus. But the gospel is restoring God's original design all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That in the gospel, it actually culminates in real communion with God, a real relationship, just like God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden face to face, is that we see here Mary is choosing relationship with God. And that what is to be remembered in connection with the gospel isn't just that our salvation is something we want to choose, but actually choosing fellowship with Jesus. Like that that's the greatest delight in the gospel, not a ticket to heaven, but an open door back into relationship with our Father who created us through Jesus, that we can have real relationship with him. I love reading those things about Mary. They're so significant here. And I just want to encourage you that oftentimes what we see is that these radical displays of love for God, they might offend people by other Christians that you may be considered um, a little over the top, unnecessary, wasteful, improper, but that it's really significant to the Lord. When we love him, when we choose relationship, that it's significant to him. And one other thing here that's specific to Mary that's different than anybody else is you see that she does this, and Jesus acknowledges that she is anointing him, preparing him for his burial, preparing him for his death. And you see, up to this point, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus has been foreshadowing the fact that he's going to die. Yet even time and time again, he says, I'm going to die, and I'll rise again in three days. You see the disciples and the Jews around them, they were so, their expectations were so much more that Jesus the Messiah promised in the Old Testament was going to come with power as some kind of warlord to establish a kingdom on earth, that they missed the fact that the Messiah is coming as a sacrifice instead. Nobody gets this except for it seems Mary. How, so how does Mary, the only person somehow seeming to grasp that Jesus is coming to die, what, why is that? Because the disciples spent a lot of time with Jesus. They saw him do a lot of things. They were doing ministry with Jesus. It's, there was something that they missed. And I think it's the posture of Mary's heart and the posture of her body that we see that set her up for this. So if we look back into Luke 10, this is the first story chronologically about Mary. We see a similar type of posture that she takes towards the Lord. Once again, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, at another dinner party with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples, it says in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You see, Jesus responds, verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
You see, Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha because she was serving, because she was trying to be hospitable, faithful to her responsibilities as a host. The difference between her and Mary in that Lord rebukes Martha is because she is worried. She's anxious about many things. You see, she put her responsibilities and her service over the one thing that Jesus most wants that he's making available by his come and, and being in our home is relationship, is fellowship with God. She's putting service for God over relationship with him, whereas Mary has chosen the better portion. Once again, she has inserted herself because of her radical devotion to Jesus, like wanting to follow him, be so near to him. She's put herself in the place of a man culturally where she should not be and left her responsibilities serving because of this radical love for Jesus. You see her sitting, listening to the word of God preached by Jesus, hanging on his every word. And I think it's that posture of Mary with her full attention to Jesus that somehow the Holy Spirit prophetically has used her to be the one person to honor him in that significant moment in John chapter 12, just about a week or more away from him going to the cross and dying. She chooses to honor the sacrifice that Messiah is making for her and for everybody else. And I think that's the one thing I want us to receive from this passage when you're thinking about this tomorrow or the next day or the next week, is that every day we have a choice to choose relationship with God. Every day we have a choice to position ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And the only reason we could do that is because he chose it for us first. That God chose relationship with each of us before we chose it. That's why he sent his son to atone for our sins, for our separation, our brokenness that kept us from God. So that we couldn't be separated, but that we would be brought near to the Lord in Jesus Everybody is wasting their life. We're all wasting our life on something, our resources, our time, our affection, our desires. And even people who are following Jesus, they get caught up and they get distracted about anxious things. I I so often find myself reading these stories and just feeling like, man, Lord, I need to return. I'm not doing that. There are other things that are taking first place where you're supposed to be first place. Every day we have a choice to make there. You see, it's so important to God that we choose relationship over service that Jesus addresses this again in Revelation 2. He prophetically addresses the church in the end times in our day. The church in Ephesus, Jesus says this to them, uh, something really profound um, to just reinforce this point that he makes. In Revelation 2, verse 1, he says, let me flip there. Verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, if we stopped there, I think you could feel very encouraged. If Jesus was saying this about your life, I think we'd all feel super encouraged about where we are in our walk with God, how faithfully we've been enduring and persevering, standing up for the gospel, rejecting things that are not about the kingdom of God. You see, all of this service, all this offering and this work, it's actually secondary to what's important to God. We see Jesus say in verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You see right here, God is doing us a favor. Jesus is actually doing us a favor, calling the church to repent from a performance mindset. I think so often, even though we know this isn't how things are, we just get stuck trying to do things for God, trying to perform, to keep him satisfied, to make God approve of us, right? And so often that leads us out of the joy of just vibrant relationship with God. That leads us away from loving him and we start to view God in other ways that are, that are not true of who he is, as though he needs us to serve him. You see, all throughout scripture, we see that God has countless servants and angels and living creatures, but that God actually created a people not to serve him, but primarily he created a people to love him, to choose relationship with him. That's, that's where the Bible begins in Genesis and will end at the end of Revelation of God choosing to dwell with his people and choosing for his people to dwell with him. But to be honest, I think right now if we ended this, I think a lot of us could feel a little bit stuck because so often I've said, I want to love God with everything, but I feel like I'm almost incapable of maintaining that, right? It's like I have to keep choosing it, but I can't, I can't keep myself in this place of loving God, keeping him as my first priority, choosing him above anything else that I could get distracted or spend a lot of good things. I could spend a lot of time worrying about, trying to be faithful to. And I've, lately, I've been reading about this first love, that Jesus is, like, he's, he's the thing we love more than anything. He's first place. He's what we love first. I've been reading about first love in a different way. And this is where I want to end our passage today. If the, if the worship team will come back on up. You see, in 1 John, John writes of a first love. And he says this in verse 9 of 1 John 4. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love, that God loved us first by sending his son as a sacrifice for our sin. He showed us his love first. Verse 19 of 1 John 4, it says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I love the quote by Mike Bickle, pastor of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. He says that it takes God to love God, which is pretty weird, but it's actually really cool. It takes God to love God, is that if you're feeling incapable of maintaining this wholehearted love, that you would follow Mary's example of spending everything you possibly could, spending your whole life wasting anything you might have on Jesus, doing a beautiful thing for him that he cares about. If you feel incapable of maintaining that type of devotion, the answer isn't to try and love God more. The answer isn't to say, okay, Revelation 2, go back to my first love. Okay, Jesus, I'm choosing you. I'm going to try harder to love you more. The answer is returning to the first love that God loved us first. The thing that's helped me most in my devotional life over these past years is receiving the love of God first and foremost. You see, it takes the Holy Spirit pouring the love of God into our hearts for that to be the thing that naturally flows from us. I don't think Mary was trying hard here to be devoted to Jesus. It was the natural overflow of what she had seen and received from the Messiah, from God coming down as flesh to dwell among his people. It was the overflow of Jesus' love poured out on Mary 
that allowed her to pour her love out on Jesus. And so if I have one practical piece of advice for us today as we look at this series in John, Encountering Jesus, and John chapter 12 and our passage, is that every day we have an opportunity to choose to receive God's love. That in the greatest commandment, if you want your life to be great and most meaningful in the eyes of God, the first place to start is to receive the love of God. And not for just when you feel it. Because to be honest, I rarely feel deep down in my core that God really loves me. I'm really, really confident of that because so much of our experience in life is trying to communicate a different message to us that we somehow are less significant or need to earn it in some way, yet feeling incapable of doing that. You see, the truth is that every time I choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, Every time I read these stories, every time I look at these scriptures that are showing God proved his love for us in this way, the Holy Spirit, he ministers faith to me to believe it, not based on my feeling or my experience, but to leave it based on the living and active word of God. And so every day, I have to spend time with God. I have to come back to the feet of Jesus. I have to receive his words of love for my life that my purpose isn't just based on what I can do for God, but my purpose and my identity, my meaning are found in what God's already done for me. And so that the overflow of my life would be a worship. The overflow of my life would be this pouring out whatever oil, whatever I have to give to God would be giving everything back to him. And so if you'll just stand now, maybe you need to kneel, maybe you need to come receive prayer. If our prayer and prophetic team, staff, overseers, if you'll come forward, Maybe if a few life group leaders feel stirred to pray for people, if our prayer and prophetic team will just come forward now. We just want to respond to this invitation. If you have kids of the kids' ministry, just to go ahead and have one spouse go ahead and pick up your child. But feel free to bring them back in. We don't want to move and rush on past this moment. I just want to encourage us to respond to the Lord. So feel free to bring your kids back in here, and let's just respond in worship. Every time we see Mary that posture that she has is falling at the feet of Jesus. And so I just want us to take time just to fall at the feet of Jesus. So come forward for prayer, worship, ask someone to pray for you. If you need to come and you don't need prayer, you just want to get on your knees where you're at or here, just want to invite you to respond. Not to try harder for God today, but just to love him from the overflow of receiving his love for your life. So I just want to pray for us. Jesus, we love you. I just thank you for your love, God. Thank you for the love that you poured out. Thank you that you chose to love us first. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the anointed king, that you gave everything for us first, that you withheld nothing from us. As you're inviting us into a life of devotion, of loving you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, that you've already done it for us first. We have yet but to receive and to respond to you. So we love you, Jesus. I just pray that you would come and pour out your love today. You would awaken our hearts in a fresh way to love you in return, to choose you over anything else. Would you come? In Jesus' name, amen.